Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and I'm joined today by site publisher Chris Cartman and reporter Trevor Booth. Um, guys, how are you doing today? Doing great, Rob. Uh, I don't have Jacob Rudner with us today. He's, he's out sick, but feel better, Jacob. I'm sure he'll be back soon. Yep, that's what I'm hoping for, too, and I'll try to do my best as the only other reporter here today, Rob. Well, we're going to focus mainly on ASU football, losing to Oregon State in Corvallis. They lost 35-34, to and we're going to start right away with a two-point conversion attempt that ASU tried with a minute and 40 seconds remaining in the game. Jaden Daniels on the drive uh, leading up to it had a few excellent passes while uh, getting blasted by Oregon State defenders. It seemed like he knew he was going to be hit as there were some free rushers. Um, yeah, fourth and eight that he converted for a touchdown to Brandon Ayuk set up the two-point conversion try. Uh, guys, what did you think of the play call and the decision at all to go for it? I know we've already reported heavily on it, but let's talk about that a little bit. Right, so pretty impressive, as you said, Rob, for ASU to get into that situation. They had a second and 18 uh, preceding that after Benjamin missed a protection on Hamilcar Rashid. Uh, then they had the throw to Benjamin, followed by the fourth and eight to Ayuk that you mentioned there, that was a great play by Jaden Daniels. Uh, at this point in the game, I thought that ASU had all of the offensive momentum, really the, all the momentum in the game. Oregon State had only scored seven points in the half, and that happened uh, after Jaden Daniels fumbled the ball on a miscommunication between Cole Cabral and Alex Osoya that left somebody free. Uh, that was in the backfield immediately, and, J and Daniels fumbled. That was a short field that Oregon State con converted. Um, so I, I, I don't like the decision to go for two. I think that, uh, as we've talked about, the, um, the team that's better or the team that has the momentum or both of those things combined, which I think in this case ASU was better, was a, a favorite on the road. ASU had the momentum clearly in the second half. A lot more yards, more yards, really uh, as many yards on that last drive almost as Oregon State had in the whole quarter. Uh, and and when that's the case, you have an edge with more plays, not fewer plays. Right. Okay, the momentum edge team or the better team gains its advantage in a larger sample size. Okay, so Herm Edwards said after the game, and then he reiterated in his Monday press conference that he felt like ASU had the momentum, that he felt like they drove the whole field, that they should be able to get two yards. By the way, in, in college football, it's three yards, uh, which I think he missed on that. But um, And then, additionally, even though they had discussed uh, several plays prior to the decision to, the, to the, the touchdown, I should say, that they were going to go for two in the event of a score – uh, which I think is good. I think that's the right that's the right uh, uh, practice that you should be having that those types of conversations. I think that the play call um, was bad, and if that was going to be their play call, they shouldn't have elected to go for it. And the reason is because uh, they tried to use a similar formation to build off of from the two point play that they had against UCLA. Mm -hmm. Uh, what that means is that the other team, Oregon State in this case, will have seen that play and they will have figured out all of its permutations, uh, all the things that you could do off of that play. Right. Um, the play required uh, two true freshmen to get key blocks. Okay, They had one receiver on the field. That was Brandon Ayuk on the other side, unbalanced line. They wanted to make it look like they were going to run to the right because you had Cole Cabral behind him. You had Case Hatch as a fullback behind him. You had Eno Benjamin with Jaden Daniels under center. Okay, But then what they did was they motioned really quickly Hatch across the formation as Daniels 
uh, took the snap and had a toss, mm-hmm. aggressive toss sweep to Eno Benjamin, mm-hmm. who received the ball, by the way, at about nine yards depth from the, the, the goal line. So you got to go nine yards then from where you're at as opposed to the, you know, the shorter distance. Um, and uh, not really all that surprising that, that uh, Case Hatch and uh, Nolan Matthews, the two guys that were relied upon in that play, and even Roy Hemsley, who was uh, lined up as an extra lineman in the unbalanced formation, uh, basically two spots out from you. Basically, had Coker Ball snapping the ball. You had you had Alex Osoya next to him. You had uh, um, uh, Roy Hems uh, Roy Hemsley, pardon me, was out there. And so essentially, you had to get blocks from all these guys moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, they weren't able to do it. Like right. th- there was three guys that basically didn't get their blocks. You know, Benjamin had no chance. He decided to throw the ball, of course, into the end zone, mm-hmm. which had no chance of working. And Coker Brawl was already like way into the end zone, which was illegal, which drew two flags. Uh, to me, that was an indication that the play that they weren't uh, that it wasn't an option play. It wasn't you know Benjamin having the ability to throw back to the end zone. Uh, it was just basically going to be a straight run. Otherwise, Coca-Bra probably wouldn't have released all the way into the end zone um, if it was an option. Herm Edwards talked about there being an option on Monday at the press conference or about the possibility of Eno Benjamin throwing it as one of the options. I, I didn't really see that as an option. Uh, nevertheless, um, I just want to, again, stress that if that's your play where you have two freshmen who need to get blocks – the running back, who was a very good player, fumbled on his last time around the goal line. Jaden Daniels has just led you back. And additional factors to consider. ASU had four rushing yards, I believe, net in that quarter. And then Oregon State's kicker, or their kicking game, had made two of seven field goals on the season with a long of 30, which enhances your edge uh, in right. an overtime setting. So I think for all of those reasons... It was a a lower percentage play call in a situation when ASU had more of an advantage in more plays, and uh, it didn't work out. I don't agree with it. And the other component to this is, of course, that Herm Edwards said he wanted to put pressure on Oregon State, wanted to play for the win. He was concerned about the 140 left on the clock. But the thing you have to realize about that is whether ASU was tied or up by one point at that point in the game, mm-hmm. it's not going to change Oregon State's approach to trying to get a field goal to win the game with 140 left. Oregon State may be slightly more risk tolerant when trailing versus tied in that situation, but it really isn't going to change its mm-hmm. approach. So, so I don't even think that that should have really factored in that much because you're going to get the same type of uh, approach there. Right, the same type of approach, too. And you talked about it, too, Chris, how their field goal kicker was two of seven from beyond 30 yards as well. So, No, two of seven total. Oh, two of seven total, okay. And the longest kick that they had on the season was 30 yards. Was 30 yards. Successful okay. kick, yes. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So that's even more, yeah, more of a factor Yesterday, there. Chris, I didn't understand this. Herm Edwards said it during his presser that the kicker has been kicking better lately. Oregon State's? Yeah. Well, he's maybe. I mean, but he's made so he's made two kicks yeah, on, no, on the that, season. I, I couldn't believe that that was what Herm Edwards said the the Monday to explain his reasoning why. I think there's rationalizing that's taking place. Like after you make the decision, you you want to sort of validate the decision that you made, 
And so that's that those are some of the things that you do, right? right. Clearly, and maybe maybe they're thinking, oh, uh, you know, um, we had a missed PAT of our own recently. Maybe that's a factor. But one missed PAT on the season, I don't think that sh- that that should be a factor. I just and Zendaz was perfect on the day, four of four. Correct. Yeah, I just don't. I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I there's like an old kind of football adage about going for two on the road when you know to try to end the game right there as opposed to going into you know an overtime right. or a tie this wasn't a particularly hostile environment there was 30,000 fans it wasn't like ASU was frazzled whatsoever I, I think pretty clearly ASU was uh, the team that had all of the momentum in its favor and I think ASU is the best team which is reflected by ASU being a favorite on the road and I just think when that's the case, all these factors involved, you, you should be uh, you should be playing for overtime in that situation. You have Jaden Daniels, who's he's been absolutely clutch in those these types of situations. Uh, he's just led you on multiple drives. You had a second and eighteen, you score. I, I don't think that you want to. I think it's much more risky, much more leaving it to, to chance in any one play situation on a two point conversion, especially when it's a run play where you need these guys to, to get key blocks who are, who are young and or kind of average players. And now moving toward the beginning of the game, um, ASU trail, by the way, I just want to say that Oregon state also made a big mistake. I think at the end of the game, because, uh, it elected to go for it on fourth and two from ASU's 44 with 37 seconds left. I think that was a terrible decision. Uh, Jack Jones ended up getting a pass interference, which I think was the right call. If he's really aware of of ball and man, I think he has a, a pretty good chance of actually intercepting that ball, certainly at least tipping the ball, deflecting it. But instead, he runs into the the player. Big plays make big players make big time plays in big time situations. That was one for Jack Jones, a former five star guy who had an opportunity to get a big, big stop, maybe even win the game actually for ASU on defense. He had a poor performance in the game because earlier on he gave up multiple touchdowns. There was a whip route. He gave up a touchdown. There was a route earlier, even before that where he gave up a touchdown where he appeared to get his eyes, you know, caught in the backfield and kind of almost stop, uh, 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 on the play, Oregon State's tight end ran right over him. Noah Togiai for one of the touchdowns. He ju- he le- he left him. So that's three touchdowns. Uh, I think there was a whip route. There Kobe were- got Kobe was the one that got hurdled. Togiai just ran straight over Jack Jones. If I if I'm not mistaken. No, also, he also hurdled him. I think. But anyways, it's either here nor there. Point is, there were multiple touchdowns that Jack Jones gave up, and. Uh, and then he had an opportunity in that situation, and he, and he wasn't able to get to have it come through. And like you said, I mean, interesting situation where at the end of the game he had really had an opportunity because of a very questionable Jonathan Smith decision to go for it on fourth and two with just about 37 seconds remaining. Um, going back now to the beginning of the game, though, Chris, and we were, we talked on this in the postgame show right after the game, um, ASU was without five uh, – Five important defensive players on the starters, first drive of the all game. Starters. All starters. Ashari Crosswell held out of the entire first quarter on defense. And on that first drive, Demarcus Davis ends up giving up a touchdown. ASU really looked out of place the entire uh, first drive. Oregon State didn't have one third down um, on that first drive. And, and, you know, we've talked about this repeatedly. ASU slow starts. And it seems like no matter what Herm Edwards says, what Danny Gonzalez says, um, discipline issues and these issues starting out the ball game continue. I think that this was a very important thing because you already are thin at Ranger safety. That's 
necessitating you playing Kobe Williams there. And so then because you have Jack Jones as one of the five players who suspended along with Ashari Crosswell, uh, even their starting senior tight end, Cole Cabral, um, I mean, not Cole Cabral, uh, Tommy Hudson mm-hmm. was suspended. Uh, among a couple other players, Merlin Robertson didn't play. Who was the fifth one? I don't remember. But uh, nevertheless, Tamarcus Davis had to be on the field to start out the game, right? Because Williams is playing inside. You don't have Jack Jones for that drive. Tamarcus Davis has clearly, I think, you know, been a step down from some of their other guys throughout the season, which is why he hasn't get, gotten more reps. Mm-hmm. And then he's on the field, and he gets beat on the on that uh, on that play for, for a touchdown for Oregon State's first score. Well, if you have your starters on the field, maybe that doesn't happen, right? right. So I think that's I think that's sort of an issue um, that, of course, uh, contributed to their slow start, Rob, which they've had several of. Um, you know, just uh, it, seemingly in a row, they've just been behind the eight ball due to a lot of you know. Uh, inability to handle right. what opponents have been doing. And it wasn't just that, of course, I think we, you know, we, 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 during the game, we're tweeting uh, Chase Lucas and man coverage was giving up. They gave up 15, 18, 19 and 40 yard receptions in the first quarter of the game, or the, at least, you know, the first uh, half of the game. So the delay routes that we saw from, and the double move type things that we saw from Oregon State's players mm-hmm. were giving ASU a lot of problems in man coverage, and um, you know, so so essentially, what you have is um, a continuation of these long running sort of problems that they've had. Which and real quick, I just want to let the record show that Chris was actually right. It was Noah Togiai hurdling Jack Jones. Chris and I both looked it up on our computers as soon as that was said. So, Chris, there you go, one point. Okay, but so the the point is he get, he he you bring in Jack Jones. Mm-hmm. He's an important player that you're trying to get, right? Especially when you have to play Kobe Williams inside. And he gets caught with his eyes in the backfield giving up a touchdown. He gets hurdled for a touchdown. Right. And they give up a whip route, I think for a touchdown. I think that was also Jones. And doesn't start, which puts Tamarcus Davis on the field and the fourth and two situation. You know, it it, it like you, that's this is Oregon State. We're not. This isn't USC. This isn't a big time thing. You got to be ready to play. He's a, you know, he's been. You know, he's a junior. He's been. You know, he sat out a year. You know, he's a veteran player at this point. He's played in a lot of games, and really, Chase Lucas is too. Um, uh, Chase Lucas, I know, has aspirations of of joining his friends in the NFL and um Nikhil Harry and Byron Murphy and and highly regarded player and uh, wasn't a running ba- wasn't a, a defensive back in high school he played mostly running back some receiver and so you can kind of get away with that in your first year your second year but now you're in your third year mm-hmm. he also redshirted right so he's really a fourth year college player and he's showing poor technique okay uh we saw just a couple weeks ago, Herm Edwards was talking to Chase Lucas at practice mm-hmm. after he was getting turned around. Um, they were actually talking right after USC. He was you know, getting turned around, on, or maybe it was UCLA, one of the two games. He was getting, he was turning to the sideline and then giving up balls to the inside or, or the threat of giving up balls to the inside when you're turning to the sideline. And then we see in the biggest play that he gave up in this game, to Isaiah Hodgins, which was a 40-yard on a double move, 
where Hodgins basically it was a an out and and uh, an out and up type of a move, a double move. Uh, Chase Lucas bit on it right. in man coverage, and then when Hodgins broke inside off of the off of the play fake, instead of turning to his inside to chase back to the play, Chase Lucas turned to his outside where he had no chance and he got beat for forty yards, mm-hmm. and. I think this is definitely a, 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 you know, an unfortunate thing for Herm Edwards because he's a former defensive back, and that's a, not a good look when you're when your your fourth year defensive backs Jack Jones and Chase Lucas are having these really problematic games where you really can't play man coverage and and hold those guys. Certainly, and um, you know, Oregon State does some tricky things where it, it it max protects with seven and eight guys with these two-man routes, and they, it takes longer developing for some of these things. Some of the, the, the some of the, the way that the routes are run are different than the way a lot of opponents do it, so it's different for pattern matching, and it kind of um, is just different. But I think that there's confidence issues. I think there's uh, sig- significant um, skill development and uh, and execution issues that we're seeing from ASU's defensive backs, and that's really the problem that you have, Rob. Because if you you want to be showing improvement year over year improvement, right? We're 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 getting better. We're getting better with our skill development. We're getting better with our habits. We're getting better with our discipline. We're getting better in all these things. And in this game, a reflection of what's happened in the last month uh, for ASU, they've had significant lapses in these areas. And, and then when you have that coupled with um, what I think was a pretty clearly bad decision on the two-point conversion, then you start to have questions about like some of the decision-making around some of these mm-hmm. things. And, um, and so I think fans are, are, are understandably pretty frustrated and disappointed with the way things are going right now in some of these respects. And guys, it just makes you wonder where that secondary is maybe at mentally because Herm Edwards talked about how they were practicing and rehearsing Oregon State's double moves and what they were going to be able to bring. Yet we saw Chase Lucas had some breakdowns against that. And then we mentioned that one play in the end zone where Jack Jones seemingly just got caught for a second and lost his focus and looked into the backfield when he had a guy in man coverage too. So it's a lot of things that the coaches are identifying. Hey, we've prepared for this. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of the execution's not there. Confidence is so important. Just... When things get going rolling the wrong way, you start mm-hmm. guessing and you just start chasing bad stuff, and that that's really was on display in that game and really in recent weeks. And Chris, we saw some structural changes on defense when ASU got down in this game. Can you explain those a little bit more? Well, the the challenge of this Oregon State team with its twelve personnel play action stuff is that you can run the ball effectively out of it. Uh, or you can go to a lot of these play action stuff. And when you have both of those things rolling, it's really problematic. What ASU decided to do ultimately after struggling in a lot of the man coverage stuff was to go to more cover two. But what they wanted to do was play four linebackers underneath of it. Mm-hmm. And so what they were doing is uh, they were kind of on early downs watching to see what grouping that the Beavers would come out in. And then if it was a, their two tight end stuff, they were taking Evan Fields uh, out of the lineup, and they were putting in Tyler Johnson as an extra linebacker, so they didn't have that Tampa two capability. It was more just like a like a straight up uh, two with man underneath of it, and uh, they were getting a little bit more uh, press bump techniques, and they were 
sort of delaying some of the entrance into the routes at the line of scrimmage. Not always, but a little bit more. And uh, then they were also able to maybe hold up a little bit better against the run. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as soon as they got into more, you know, obvious passing downs, they were uh, putting fields back in for Tyler Johnson and going back to some of their other capabilities. But this is the, this is the, the, in a nutshell, this is really the, the problems that they have, Rob. When you don't have great pass rushers at the line of scrimmage, mm -hmm necessitating you bringing five or sometimes six defenders mm -hmm. at the quarterback to try to get the ball out early to not allow him to sit there and pick you apart. But then you also at the same time have issues in man coverage, which you're going to be in a lot more of the times, right? When you're blitzing five and six, then right. you're cover zero, you're a man free. You have to have guys that do their jobs against an opponent that does a very good job of max protecting you run into some major problems mm -hmm. because you might not get to the quarterback still you're in man coverage and their quarterbacks hanging in there and you got confidence issues at cornerback. You got execution things. You got guys guessing and now you're caught in between of not being able to get, get to the quarterback and also not being able to cover. Right. So what we've seen from ASU in recent weeks is Danny Gonzalez has been extremely pigeonholed and limited in the ways that he can really attack opponents. And he's been on his heels, I think, as a play caller as a result of that. And this is probably, you know, for a longer conversation after the season, but you have some guys that have either regressed or they haven't gotten better. And then when you have the, the types of personnel that you have up front who they're uh, not winning a lot of one-on-ones or beating double teams, certainly, at the line of scrimmage, and then you have these problems in the secondary, it, it makes it really hard for you as a play caller. This is a defense that really is more aggressive than kind of reactive, and that only works when you have guys that can really do their jobs right. on the perimeter, uh, but they don't, they don't have that. And so they're playing and doing things that are that are different than he would like to be doing right now and it's not working out really well against some pretty good offensive capability and as we shift toward asu's offense i want both of your guys opinions on on the performances of Jaden daniels uh three touchdowns over 330 yards and then brandon Ayuk over 200 all-purpose yards in what he called maybe his best game yeah it was we didn't or maybe not know what to expect but Jaden daniels it was his first game back as we talked about in in three weeks so there was a sense of what was he going to learn from maybe being out how is he going to come out and perform and i remember just following the game and following our, our twitter feed and, and chris you were there at the game you said he he had this look in his eyes when he had that final drive and it was just cool and kind of calm and he's cold-blooded that kid yeah so, and I mean, the way he was able to, to sort of lead them back was impressive. And it's, it's something that's sort of becoming expected at this point. I was surprised just going briefly back to the two point try that they didn't put the ball in his hands, just considering what he had done up to that point and how he had brought them back, especially after recovering from a, a fumble that he had earlier in the game too. So that was really impressive. And then Brandon Ayuk made uh, obviously packed special teams player of the week. He had that long return. He, he's continued um, to, you know, to pr to be what he is, and and it's it, they bring him out usually after these games, and he keeps talking about, you know, we just gotta keep putting this one behind us as a team, and talking about collectively, but individually, he's definitely done his part against Oregon State, and then the last few weeks as well. Yeah, I think Daniels maybe 
didn't get off to a great start initially in the game. It just is sharpness level, but you, you, you have a bye week and then you not don't play in the game and your knee maybe isn't a hundred percent. I do think that physically he looked pretty good. I, I think he probably could have played in the last game and, and had equal or better mobility to Joey Yellen. But if you don't feel, mm -hmm. if you don't feel a hundred percent, right, then that affects you in, in, in some ways. Uh, once again, it wasn't like there were balls that were thrown in jeopardy or anything. He had the the fumble, which was a that was bad ball security. But he's trying to you know evade a guy who shouldn't be there that quickly because Cole Cabral had a breakdown on that play, let a guy go right by him on what they thought was going to be a certain type of pressure, and it, and it ended up turning into something different. And and that's something I really want to also highlight here is so many times the these coaches have talked about. Every week after a loss, we're really young and we're developing and all these things, right? But it was Cole Cabral and Alex Lasoya who got split on that play. And those are two seniors who are multi-year starters. And Daniels ends up getting a sack off of it. Oregon State scores. That was its only uh, points of the half. And yet that was also the, the difference in the game in, in a matter of speaking, right? A lot of things can be perceived as a difference in a game, but that – in terms of the points was a difference uh and so uh it's not just that you have youth problems there's other things that are problematic for them within games uh now circling back to what we were talking about that you know daniels obviously played really well especially freshman on the road you know his numbers everything was good uh brandon Ayuk is a star i mean this guy is really a special Special player, we've been having some conversations just kind of informally about who we think is going to have a better NFL career between Ayuk and Nikhil Harry. I think a lot of people, you know, a year ago would have been surprised that that even would have been a conversation at this mm -hmm. point in time. Definitely. But now I don't think that's a, that, that should be a surprise at all. And I'm listening to some podcasts out there. You got some people that are uh, really – like know what they're talking about who think that Ayuk's one of the better receivers uh, in the country, including uh, Daniel Jeremiah was saying that. Uh, and so uh, he has a very translatable skill and especially with uh, his, his return capability. You'll notice on that return that he had for a touchdown in this game, he made an initial defender miss who dove at his feet and that's the whole key as a punt returner. If you can make the first guy miss, usually you get blocking that sets up for opportunities. And he has such a great short space acceleration right. for his size with uh, a, a foot dexterity that is pretty rare. So he actually has this avoidance of bodies and a lateral mobility. And the way that he feels and reacts to space, I think, is is quite impressive. And even when teams are not trying to give up any sort of inside leverage to him, he finds a way to be able to create mm -hmm. the route so that he's able to get to where he wants to on the field. And not all of them were completed. There was a couple that were those slants that were off of his hands and kind of high and hard by Daniels that were in on him. But then he had the one that was a touchdown catch before the two-point conversion, and he had 10 catches in the game, which was, I think, a career high. And he had the fifth all-time performance in all-purpose yards in ASU history. So we're seeing a guy, in my opinion, who deserves to warrant conversation as a day-one NFL pick. And at least I think he's a day-two guy right now. And he, it, for JUCO players, kids that come in, especially one who wasn't 
at ASU early in, in the spring. He arrives in the summer and, you know, he's just accelerated. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, he, like that's very, very hard and rare for a guy after two years to be able to do the, what he's done. A lot of people will probably harken back to Jalen Strong as a comparison as a junior college player. I, I, uh, I, Jalen Strong was a really great college player. I think Brandon Ayuk has a more uh, transferable game to the NFL. And when I consider like his uh, his his skill set and his route uh, capability, which I think he's he's it's starting to show up more, but I think it's only going to really go to another level. I, I I view him as a clear cut at worst number two starting wide receiver in the NFL. I think he's super, super talented. And he's going to be a hard guy for ASU to replace next year because they don't have anybody who has the full complement of his capability. What's really interesting to me about him and kind of cool, and when I talk to him, he he always brings this up, is he's learning from past experiences when he failed at ASU last year. Like I asked him about Oregon State and and how he – if he was happy with his production, and he talks to me about last year when he dropped a touchdown against Oregon State and didn't have his best game, and he goes and and he just each week it seems like he's remembering failures that he's had and using those to try to make sure that he's avoiding that you know the second time around. Well, this is a really good point because I, I think that too many guys get caught up in believing in their own hype or their own capability as opposed to expecting a lot more of yourself. And having a daily approach working toward that end, uh, I think it's. I think you have a lot of guys who just they get caught up in thinking that they're a lot better than they actually already are, or that you know the the problems that they have are not really related directly to them, but it's circumstances, it's other people, it's it's whatever it is, and and so they're not they're not as laser focused or hungry on that everyday grind and improvement and seeing your flaws. And, and and striving to become the best version of you that you really can possibly be. I think there's some guys on this team even who are too caught up in like thinking that they're a lot better than they actually already are. I think there are guys like that on this team. And and they're already thinking about maybe the next level and, you know, like what are we playing for exactly or what are we doing or do I really want to continue to grind every day here for, you know, us being six or seven wins or whatever. And like on one hand, I sort of get that because they're young, but I also think that some of these guys are going to be. Uh, it's a rude awakening when you get into to when people are picking apart your film, and they're seeing all the things that you know that don't look good, and and how that's judged when you're trying to get an opportunity at the next level where it just gets dramatically tougher to make an impression and the level of competition and all that. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about this on previous podcasts when ASU had the HBO episode, but the pro model and exactly what that consists of and getting players ready for the next level, that's something that Brandon Ayuk has told us that has really become a part of him. I remember there was a play in Camp Town, Arizona, when he caught a pass, went to the ground, and then Antonio Pierce got mad at him. He's like, why didn't you go get it up and run it in? So he's he's been harped on for that. He's talked to us about it. Um, we had a story in the preseason about the like the pro model and how he's brought into that, the pro style of a player. He says after practices, he goes immediately and takes an ice bath. He's really bought into his diet. So just that buy-in factor collectively is something that he's really harped in on in, in his senior year especially. I like those types of guys. I don't, I don't want to hear your mouth more than I want to see your playmaking. And he's actually mm-hmm. kind of a quiet guy <laughs> on right. the field right. for, for the most part. I mean, he, he gets into some – uh, some verbal altercations with with corners and stuff, but but nothing really that distracts. And 
you know, in practice, he's never the most vocal guy. He's no. never the guy that you hear from the most. Yeah, I just Ayuk and Jaden Daniels. They're too they're quiet. Silent yeah, killers. they really are. Yeah. They are just gonna they're gonna just body you until you're just done. And then there's other guys on the flip side that talk as much or more in a lot of Definitely. cases more Definitely. than they deliver. And that that's not that's not what that's not the way you want to be. Is what I'm trying to say. And Chris, you mentioned one of the fumbles, the the Jaden Daniels fumble. But how important, obviously, and I mean, maybe that's the wrong way to phrase this, but the Eno Benjamin fumble on the one yard line might have been a, a game sealer for ASU, or might have given ASU a win had he got in, or at least got down to the one and stayed there. Yeah, I think that was the. the if you were just going to focus on one play that wasn't the two point conversion, that's that's the play that you would focus on if you're ASU, right? It, because the ASU had all the momentum, you know, and should have been, you know, tied with all this game remaining. Their defense is playing well. And it's like this was the narrative that we talked about a week earlier was about, you know, Benjamin's two fumbles that he lost against UCLA and USC, the challenges that he had, the fact that he hadn't been a fumbler earlier in his career. Everybody keeps saying, oh, that's not Eno. That's not Eno. Like you heard that from coaches. Well, it kind of is right now. That is what he is. Like you, like you don't get a, the the you don't what you do determines who you are, right? You don't get a to change your narrative just by your voice. It's by your actions. It's by your habits. It's by what what you do. And this is this is the guy who's expected to be ASU star player. He had one of the best seasons ever by any skill player in ASU history last season can never be taken away from him okay tremendous running back probably the best running back pure running back that that i have actually covered in the last 15 years at asu he is really really good doesn't matter if you're fumbling and losing the ball in key situations for your team when you're trying to go from from phase one to phase two of building a program definitely with mm-hmm. with, with her words and and he knows this it's not like you know, I'm sure he's as devastated as, as anybody could possibly be about this being his reality. And he is probably trying too hard. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors in that. But you're, you're trying to show good film to the NFL when you're not like a freak of nature in terms of size, height, weight, speed, athleticism type things. That a lot of the decision making about where your prospects are is going to come down to, uh, do you what your skill level? Do you protect the ball? Do you hold on to the ball? All that stuff. I'll say another thing is that uh, he missed a protection, by Hamilcar Rashid basically stepped over him, and got to Daniels, and, and that that was a sack. So it's not, you know, it's yet the full body of work. He has improved in some areas. I think he's better as a receiver than he was a year ago. I don't. I think he's still a great guy with, to have this ball in his hands. But you got to put the whole package on display and not have fumbles, yeah. not lose fumbles, and certainly not in key situations. And that definitely was, as much as anything, a difference in the game. And to put a bow on this episode, Chris, I mean, four games now lost in a row. They haven't won a game in a month. Uh, longer than that, actually, with the bye that they had. Uh, 
you know, they haven't led much at all in the past six weeks. If you think about the Washington State game, that they uh, they only led for the final, you know, 35, 36 seconds after Daniels had that helicopter touchdown. Uh, how does this affect the program and specifically recruiting as ASU is going to have, like we said, a lot of guys to replace next year? Well, we could have a whole conversation, you know, for an hour just on this alone, but uh, I, there's a few key things that we should talk about. One is... There's some legitimate uh, chinks in the armor in terms of their their uh, their progression of development of players, right? If Chase Lucas, Jack Jones, Merlin Robertson hasn't had a very good year relative to what I think people's expectations were, and you know maybe some other guys, if they're not really taking the next step, then it started to be, well, why is that, right? And especially when we're talking about defensive backs, and that's Herm Edwards' specialty, right? He's a, he develops all these guys personally. He has the conversations. If, 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 you know, you can't just, you don't get the luxury of being able to say, well, we needed different types of guys. When Jack Jones and Chase Lucas, you have said, are ca- capable of being all Pac-12 caliber players. You don't just get to say, well, we we need other t- other types of guys to, to be the all because at ASU you don't get the luxury of hand picking the people that have all the best intangibles and all the best athletes and all the best skill sets. You're not going to get enough of them. You have to be able to take what you get, work with them, develop them, make them better. Okay, they have too many problems on defense right now to fix it in a week to week basis. They're going to need to really go back to the drawing board in some respects with their personnel and their team and what they're trying to do. And they're going to have to supplement and fortify their roster this offseason. I'm interested to see what that ends up looking like. And I think uh, offensively, let's face it, they're going to lose probably Benjamin. They're going to lose Ayu, Kyle Williams. They're going to lose, you know, four guys that play a lot on the offensive line. They're going to lose Tommy Hudson. So now you got Jane Daniels and a, uh, you know, a lot of different core players around him in your nucleus. So that's that's a question mark. So, uh, and then the, you've had some discipline problems in in recent weeks. You know, self inflicted things. It, not as costly against Oregon State, but we haven't even talked about this. They had multiple mistakes on special teams. They got lucky that that a running into the kicker wasn't a roughing the kicker on a fourth and long situation with Tamarcus Davis, and they've still had you know untimely penalties they had a penalty on the last drive that led to them being in a um or i think it was the the you know benjamin one that led to them being in a second and 18 situation mm-hmm. so they've had negative plays penalties self-inflicted things and um so there's a lot but at the same time what i would say rob is that and i, I put i put this on the board a week ago the 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 sentiment that fans carry that is built up over you know multi years of angst, frustration, whatever it is. That's something that recruits actually don't feel whatsoever in their families because they're just, hey, who do I have great relationships with, and right. who would I like to play with? Right. So the NFL model, I think, still benefits them. It is something that is viewed as an asset in recruiting, and I also think that they a lot of players like the idea of coming in and, and playing early, which ASU has demonstrated. Uh, that it's willing to do with its players. And I don't really see that much um, negative stuff happening with the recruiting class. If anything, I see them sort of turning guys loose among commits because they feel like they're going to be able to, to close down the stretch here on even better prospects. 
especially at wide receiver and, and defensive back. So I think that their skill level actually might continue to rise. They have plenty of good athletes in the secondary. They just need to be able to harness and develop everything the way that they need to, and they need to be able to uh, have better play overall at the line of scrimmage on both sides. So that's going to do it, though, for this edition of the Sun Devil Search Report podcast. For site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporter Trevor Booth, I'm Rob Warner saying so long, and thank you for tuning in. Akuna Matata.